The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're beginning a brand new series today called A Better Way. And what we're going to be doing is um, we're going to be in this series for a while. In fact, we're going to be in this series for nine weeks because what we're going to do through this series is we're going to walk through the nine fruits of the Spirit and we're going to show you a better way to live, a better way to think, a better way to operate and function in this world, a better way that the world desperately needs to see right now. And so we're going to talk about how to, how to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, how to, how to carry and bear the fruit of the Spirit that God's called you to carry in this world. It's going to be really, really good. I'm going to be uh, carrying, uh, doing the, most of the heavy lifting, but we got some different people that are going to be preaching during this series. It's going to be good. I think Sarah's doing a message, possibly. Jackson is going to be preaching during this series. It's going to be really, really good. So make sure you're here every week. I want to encourage you to commit to be in the house of the Lord for the next nine weeks. And this is going to lead us right up to Easter, and uh, we've got some incredible, incredible stuff. We had a meeting just a couple weeks ago about Easter, and we talked about our Easter plans for this year. And, you know, I I think that we have a really incredible opportunity ahead of us this year with Easter in that last year people didn't really get to Easter, right? That's when everything kind of happened last year, was around this time of the year. And so we didn't get to have Easter. And so I think people are, are open to, to God and open to Easter. And so I believe we have a really God opportunity in front of us that we can seize as a church. And so we're going to have a bunch of services that weekend. Just get ready. Lots of services because we're really believing that this is going to be a time for us to see uh, thousands of people in this house and tons and tons of people saved. How many can get on board with that? So I encourage you to do this for me. Would you be praying for Easter? Like, I know we're nine weeks away, but let's be a people that are praying that God would anoint our, our church to be able to reach people that need to be reached, and that he would even begin to stir in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who to go after, who to start to plant seeds in their life. You know, it's one thing for you to two weeks from Easter invite somebody, but what if we started planting some seeds for Easter right now? I believe that's what we're going to see in these in this, in this series is some of this fruit is so important. It's going to be the stuff that people are attracted to. So Galatians chapter 5, it says this. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is. And I want to encourage you to learn, memorize this verse, okay? Learn this verse so that you know what these fruits are. The fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And today, we're just going to go down the list through, through every week. So today, we begin with love. I want to talk to you about what love really looks like. And I'm calling this message this morning, More Than a Feeling. How many of you are thinking of Boston right now? <laughs> More than a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. And I'm going to help you to see what godly love actually looks like. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we love you and we thank you for a growing church, God. Thank you for what you're doing in this house. We're so grateful. Thank you for the service. I thank you for all the people who are here today that are here to hear your word. And we thank you, Lord. We, we recognize what your word says as being true. And it says that your word is life to those who find it. 
and health to their flesh. I pray that we would find some new life today. We would find some new health today for our flesh to help us overcome our flesh. Walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of our flesh, but to live the way you've called us to, to live at a greater, a greater level, to live a better way. God, help us with that today. And so today, Lord, we just say that you're welcome in this place. We know you're here because you inhabit the praises of your people. We pray that, and we just declare from our, from in our own minds and our hearts, Lord, inhabit us. Come and, and speak to us and show us the truth in your word, Lord, so that it can bring freedom to us and freedom to the world around us that's in bondage. Well, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before I can talk about um, this fruit of love, I need to talk to you a little bit about this idea of fruit a little bit. I'm kind of going to lay some groundwork for the rest of this series right now um, about just how fruit works. Because it, we see it all throughout Scripture. In fact, one of the things God does is he uses this word fruit to kind of explain what our life is supposed to produce, what a life connected with him should be creating and bearing and, and bringing into the world. When he talks about that, he uses this word fruit. And so what, what I want you to understand this morning is God wants you to bear fruit. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, that's my first point for you. God wants our life to bear his fruit. God wants you to be fruitful he wants you to be a person who brings his kind of fruit into this world, a person who's highly productive. And that's what we see in Scripture. Oftentimes when it talks about the production of our life or the pro productivity and the life that our life produces, it uses this word fruit. Think about verses that talk about when a woman gets pregnant. What does it talk about? It talks about the fruit of her womb. It's talking about this life that she's carrying, that she's going to carry and she's going to birth into the world, right? Uh, the Bible talks about the work that we do as being uh, the fruit of our labor, the fruit of our hands, that there's a production that takes place that brings life from the work that we do. It talks about the praise and the worship that we give as being the fruit of our lips. God has a lot to say about fruit in Scripture, and fruit typically points us to life and to production and to influence. And so God wants our life to bear his kind of fruit. He wants us to carry and display this different way of living, this different kind of fruit in the world. So, so the fruit that you bear in your life should point people to God, to the heart of God, to the nature of God, to the character of God. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. The fruit of your life. What, the, the produce of your life should point people to God, to his heart, to his character, to his nature. So, so the fruit that you're displaying in your marriage with your spouse should point them to God, to his heart, to his nature, to his character. The fruit that, that you're displaying for your children should point them to the heart of God, to his character, to his nature. You guys with me this morning? Say Amen. amen. Young people, you're in here, you're, you're a high school student, you're a college student. The, the fruit of your life should point people, the, the, your fellow students, your classmates, to the heart of God, to the character of God, to the nature of God. If you're on a sports team, <laughs> the, the, you should, your teammates, they should see in your character of how you play your sport the fruit of God's character and his nature and his heart for the world. Your social media platform should point people, yes. you hear me this morning, yes. to the heart of God, the fruit of your social media platform. You ever think about it that way? It's a, it's a, it's a fruit you're supposed to bear. Probably don't think about it that way. At least I hope you, you can't be. 
Some of you can't be, okay? But it should point people to the heart of God, the nature of God, the character of God. It's supposed to. That's what God wants for us. He wants our, our life to bear his kind of fruit. Okay, so as I was thinking about this this week, what God does is he points to this natural thing to talk about kind of these supernatural truths, right? Spiritual truths, he used a, natu- a natural thing in fruit. So I kind of took that idea and thought, okay, well, let's just talk about fruit for a little bit and what we see in fruit. So I made some observations about fruit that I think point us to some, uh, some realities and truths we need to have in our life related to spiritual things, all right? So here's, here's the first one. Fruit is always visible. When fruit is there, it's visible. If it's invisible, it's not there. Amen? Like this is, this is not rocket science, but it really is true. The Bible says this in Matthew 12, 33. It says, a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. I know very little about trees. I, I don't, you know, I don't even know what you call the science related to trees. But I do know this. If you took me out to a tree and you said, what kind of tree is that? I might be able to say, okay, that's a maple tree because I've seen sports teams that have a maple leaf as their, so I could go, I, I think that's that. Or an elm tree, like there's certain leaves I might be, but I can't tell you specifically what kind of tree it is. But if you took me out to a tree and it's got apples hanging on it, I can tell you that's an apple tree. I may not know specifically what kind of apple tree it is. There's a few. Green apples, that's Granny Smith. Red apples, that's red gross apples. They they say delicious, but they're the worst apples ever, right? Those are the nastiest apples. Those are gas station apples, people. Don't get those apples. Those are, those are nasty. Okay. But I, I see these, if I see fruit on a tree, I can tell you if it's got lemons on it, little yellow things that look like a lemon, I'm going to go, that's a lemon tree. Because I can identify it by the fruit that's being produced, right? So, so let's say that you took me out to an orchard and you said, hey, check out this tree. And you show me this tree and you're like, guess what that kind of tree that is? And it's got no fruit on it. I'm going to go, I don't know. Say, well, that's a, that's a pear tree. I'm going to go, okay, sure. I'll just take your word for it, I guess, because I don't see any fruit. So I can't tell based on the fruit because there's no fruit there. So I'll just take your word for it. Some of you know where I'm going. So fruit is visible. That points to the identity of the tree. But if there's no fruit, then there's no... So my question is, like let's say that you were arrested and thrown into jail and brought before a court and they were to try to convict you of being a Christian. Would there be any evidence to prove that? Or would you be found guilty on all charges? Or innocent on all charges? The, the point is this, like God is not looking for people who are living a life where people just have to take your word for it that you love Jesus. There should be something on display. Fruit should be visible because when fruit's there, it's visible. You follow me this morning? So, so God wants us to bear his kind of fruit, and fruit is always visible. Here's another thing about fruit, observation I made, is that fruit uh, is never, it never exists for itself, for the tree. Like I've never seen a tree, and it's like, you know, out there, and it's got apples or fruit on it, and all of a sudden, like a branch goes into the trunk of the tree to feed it from its fruit itself. You ever seen that before? Like not in a cartoon, okay, like in real life. 
Or have you ever seen like all of a sudden there's fruit hanging on a branch and then all of a sudden it gets kind of absorbed up into the branch by the tree? No. Because we all know like the fruit doesn't exist for the tree. The fruit exists to sustain and to nourish and to produce life after itself outside of the tree. It's not made for the tree. It's made for others. In the same way, listen, this fruit that God wants us to produce isn't just made for you. It's not made for us to just consume ourselves. So my question for you is, how, how are you doing with that? Is, is the fruit of your life, does anybody want it? Does, your, does anyone want to take a bite out of you? Not like literally, but like figuratively. Like the fruit of your life, is it something that the world would look at and go, man, I, they got something, it looks good. It looks like it could sustain. It looks like it could bring life. It, it's producing life outside of itself. The kind of life that you're living, is, that, is, it, is there fruit? Does it just end with you? Because if it ends with you, you're probably, you're probably processing from a consumption standpoint. And what you're doing is you think fruit is for you. It's not. It's for others. It's for the world. We're producing this fruit for the world. We're producing it to, to bless other people. Fruit never exists for itself. Here's another observation. Fruit always bears the identity of the tree of which it's connected. Matthew 12, says it again. A tree is known, or in other words, it's identified. You can identify the tree based on the fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. Okay, so crowd participation here, all right? I want to make sure you guys are with me this morning, crowd participation here. If you walk up to a tree, I want you to say what kind of tree this is here in just a moment. Now walk up to a tree, and it's got bananas hanging from it. It is a banana tree. Good job, everybody. Good job. I walk up to a tree. It's got pears hanging from it. It is a tree. Very good. If I walk up to a tree, it's got these big orange peaches on it. What kind of tree is it? It's a so you know the tree by its fruit. And the tree can only produce the kind of fruit that's native to its identity. So like a pear tree can't produce peaches. It can want to. It can have a desire to. It can try really hard to do it, but it can't do it. It can only produce after its identity. Okay, so here's the truth for you this morning. This fruit that you're called to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you can only produce this fruit if you're born of the Spirit. If you've made Jesus, if you've, if you've, what the Bible says, it says this, it says that when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus, in Christ. So you receive a brand new born again identity. And now from that identity, which is Spirit, now you can produce fruit from that identity. So now you can produce what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, now you can make that because, because it's a part of who you are. So love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now you can produce that if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. Outside of a connection to Jesus, you can't do it. And that's why there's false versions of it that exist. Because apart from God, you can't do it. I'll show you that in just a minute. But, okay, so that's true. That's what we're supposed to be producing. The question then becomes, how are you doing with that? <laughs> you say, well, Pastor Josh, um, not great, you know. I don't always love like I know I should. I'm not always patient with people. People can get on my nerves. People, man, they just get on my nerves. 
not always patient, not always, I, I know I'm not as faithful as I should be, not as gentle, not kind like I should be. I'm not, I'm not killing it related to the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody can agree with that this morning, maybe? You're there a little bit? Well, if that's the case, listen, I, I get it. Like, I, I, I know that that's the way it can go. And, and let me just say this, I'm not surprised by that. Because just because you have the identity of the tree doesn't mean that the tree is going to produce the fruit. Because you can have a tree that has a, it's an apple tree, but in order for that tree to produce the kind of fruit it's supposed to be producing, it has to be sourced properly. And that's my fourth observation about, about fruit, is fruit must be sourced to grow. I can take a, a tree that has the ability, perfectly good healthy tree, but if I plant it in bad soil, and I plant it in a place where it doesn't receive sunlight or it's in the shade too much or it doesn't ever get water. It may have the ability to produce fruit, but it's not going to because it has to be sourced. So in order for you to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to be sourced by the Spirit. So, so what is the source? It's in the name. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So it's the Spirit of God that empowers us to bear this kind of fruit, to carry this kind of fruit. Look back at Galatians 5.22. I want to read this. This is from the New Living Translation. I love the way it says it. It says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Who produces it? The Holy Spirit produces it. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The Holy Spirit produces that. And that's why, remember our, our first point was, God wants our life to bear his fruit. I didn't say God wants our life to produce his fruit. Because you can't produce it. You can't create it. What you can do is bear it. Which means you can carry it and you can display it. But it's the Spirit of God that produces it in our lives. But in order for Him to produce it in our life, we have to have spiritual disciplines in place in our life and connection points that allow God to source the Spirit through our life. You guys with me this morning? So Jesus said it like this in John 15. Look at this verse with me. Verse 4 and 5, he says, live in me, make your home. Now think about a home. Home is where you reside, right? You, you keep coming back to your home. You, you return to your home over and over again. You rest in your home. Jesus says, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear fruit by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. Look at this. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. We can't produce this fruit on our own unless we're connected to God. That's how we're able to bear it is being connected with him so he can source it into our life. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, or I'm the tree, you're the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship intimate and organic, what does that mean? It means it's close, it's personal, it's real. It's not I'm down here and God's way up there. It's God's with me and in me and working through me. We're close to each other. This is an intimate, real relationship. It says the harvest or the fruit production is sure to be abundant. So if you're connected with God like you should be, walking in relationship, then the fruit production of your life, the fruit of the Spirit should be abundantly being produced in your life. Goes on to say this, separated or disconnected from God, you can't produce a thing. A thing, everything you're going to produce is not going to be this. You can't love the way God's called you to love apart from him. You can't walk in patience the way you're supposed to apart from a connection with God. So, so what we have to do is we have to create avenues through which the spirit of God can source us the way he wants to. We got to be connected to Jesus. 
We gotta, we gotta understand who Jesus is, what he did for us, what, what his death on the cross represents in our life. We have to know what that really means. We have to get into the word and discover the truths in the word of God so it can create the source of, of inflow into our life that produces the fruit. We got to get into the word. We got to pray. We got to worship. We got to we got to operate and function in biblical community, connected to the church, the bride of Christ, in small groups, serving. When we do all these things, we're sourcing the spirit in our life, and the fruit of the spirit becomes the byproduct. Now we're able to bear it and carry it, and when the world sees it, they go, "Man, that looks good." Word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. They taste and see the fruit of the Spirit through your life. So when you root yourself in the Word and the promises of God and Scripture and the truth of the Word, it not only sets you free, but it becomes an avenue through which freedom can be built and, and distributed into the world. And the world looks at it and goes, what is that? Because they can't connect with it any other way except through you and except through a connection they have with God. So you become a message of Jesus in this world. How awesome is that? So this fruit, like this is why we're spending some time talking about this because it's so, such a huge deal. People can see God through your life. They can see a real version of these things that people desperately want through your life. Okay, so let's talk about love, all right? First half of the message over. Second half, love. Here we go. And I'm not gonna be able to tell you everything about love today. Like it's a huge topic I could do a whole series on love, but what I want to do is I want to just kind of unpack some things that God showed me related to, I think, some of the misconceptions related to love that are going to help you today. So Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's love. Now, something that you have to understand about love is that we all have experiences in life that shape the way we view the world. And they shape the way we view people, and they shape the way we view God, and they shape the way we view love. And so we, we all go through life having experiences. Now, the problem with experiences is, is this, and what a lot of people do, what the world does is they build their life on experiences. But the problem with that, here's the problem with that, is that experiences are a moving target. Because nobody has the same experiences, like you can even be raised in the exact same home with the same parents, but your experiences are going to be completely different based on your personality and your parents' personality and how you interact. But you just think about all the different experiences that people have in their life. Like your experiences, I promise you, are probably so different than me. We can probably find some familiarity in our experiences, but I mean, you know, your upbringing, like were you raised with both parents? Were you raised... With a single dad? Were you raised by a single mom? Were you uh, in foster care? Were you adopted? What kind of home did you grow up in? What, what, what race are you? You're going to have experiences based on your race. Were you, did you, were, were you raised in a wealthy home? Were you raised in a middle class home? Were you raised in a, in, a, in a poorer home where you didn't have enough like meals? Sometimes you went to bed hungry. That's going to shape your experiences. Were you raised in a private school? Were you raised in a public school? Were you raised in a rough school? Were your parents Christians? Were they Catholic? Were they agnostic? Like we have all these experiences and they're going to shape our life and it's going to shape the way we view the world, the way we view God, and, and so often the way we view and connect and relate to love, which also shapes the way we see God because God is love is what the word tells us. 
So what happens is we all have these experiences and if you don't build your life on the word, then you build your life on your experiences and that creates a viewpoint of love that typically is opposite of the viewpoint of God when it comes to love. Okay, so, so this is kind of worldly love. This is what worldly love looks like. Worldly love says this, love is about feelings and love is about getting. This is how the world views love. Love is about a feeling, you know, a, the butterflies, that, that thing where you, you have that thing. I, I, I need to get that thing, that feeling. And I find that feeling. I have that, that feeling. And so now I got to chase that feeling because that feeling is what I, I'm, I'm after. But here's the problem. It, it's a selfish way of viewing the fruit where we're saying the fruit is for me. I consume the fruit. But remember, the fruit's not about you. The fruit is for you to display and to give to the world. So worldly love says love's about getting, love's about, it's a, it's a selfish view of love, but godly love says this, love is about choices and love is about giving. That's what godly love says. It's about making choices and it's about giving our, our, our love away. And when it comes to this, this kind of love, the great thing about God is he gives us an incredible example of this kind of love in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus, the Bible says this, it says, first of all, it says, God is love. So God is love. And then the Bible also tells us that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 tells us that. So when we see Jesus, we see the invisible God visibly. When we see, when we look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, we're seeing the heart of God and the love of God on display. In fact, Jesus said it like this in John 14. Philip comes to him one day and says, hey, Jesus, show us the Father, Show us what God looks like. And Jesus says this, have I been with you so, so long with you and yet you still have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? If you're taking notes this morning, jot this down. Jesus was and is God spelling out his love in a language that people can understand. Jesus was and is God spelling out his love for the world in a language that every one of us could understand. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we're seeing the love of God in perfect display. And what's interesting is when you study the life of Jesus and you look at how the, how the disciples related to Jesus, it's interesting because when they were trying to define this kind of love that they were seeing in Jesus, they couldn't define it. They looked at all the, the words related to love and none of them really expressed love the right way. And so what they did was they took an Old Testament word and they made it be the definition for the kind of love they were seeing in Jesus. And if you've been around church, you've heard this word before. It's the word agape. Agape. This was the love of Jesus. And by the way, in Galatians 5, when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, that word love is agape. So this is the kind of love that should be on display in our lives. Agape love. So what is agape love? Well, here's the definition. It's unconditional love that is always giving and impossible to take or be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest and best, no matter how anyone may respond. This form of love is totally selfless and does not change whether the love is given or returned. So this is pretty incredible. I, I love how Dr. Tony Evans said it. I, I love this, this uh, 
way he explains agape love. He says this biblical concept of agape love involves giving of yourself for the benefit of another, even at your own expense. Biblical love is, is defined by passionately and righteously seeking the well-being of another. Biblical love is an act of the will and not just a fuzzy feeling in the stomach. That's why God can command us to love one another. Love really has nothing to do with whether you feel loving at a particular moment. It has to do with the need of the person being loved, not the feelings of the one doing the loving. That's agape love. That's what Jesus displayed for us, and that's what Jesus invites us to and, and wants us to share with the world. In fact, Jesus said it like this, John 13, 34, love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So we're told that God wants us, Jesus wants us to love others with this kind of agape love, all right? So, so three things I see in the love of Jesus that we need to work towards, all right? Three things. First thing that I, I see in the, in the love of Jesus is that Jesus' love was unconditional. Jesus' love was unconditional. In other words, here's what Jesus' love looks like. I love you, I choose to love you, period, I don't love you because you're lovable. I don't love you because you're lovely. I don't love you because you did a really good job on something. I don't love you because you go to church. I don't love you because you pay your tithes. I don't, I don't love you because of some trait that you hold or some character thing that you're building in your life. I just, I love you. I choose to love you. That's the kind of love that God offers. It's not based on you. And so here's what's so interesting is Jesus offers this kind of love to us and, and, and he made a choice to love us and then he, he shows us in scripture how this choice he made and understanding it can help us to make the choice we're called to make in loving others. Look at this with me. This is so awesome. John 15, verse 16 and 17. Jesus says this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Look, look at the person beside you. Point to yourself and say, God chose me. God chose me. How awesome is that? God chose me and you and appointed us so that we may go and bear fruit. That word fruit there is the same word that we see in the fruit of the Spirit. It's a Spirit-sourced fruit. So God chose you, appointed you to carry this Spirit-sourced fruit. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Look at this. This is my command. Remember, this is Jesus talking Love, and that's the word agape, love each other. So Jesus commands us to love each other. Now, just real quick, let's, let's stop on that for just a minute. This is a command of Jesus. Like Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, I got an idea for you to process. Like chew on this, see what you think. <laughs> see if this works out for you. Something to consider, take it or leave it. No, no, no. <laughs> he commands it. And, uh, and recognize this, Jesus commands it. Remember who Jesus is? God, okay? So this is not something to be like, well, you know, we'll see. No, it's God telling you, do this. So if you're a Christian, listen, this is not an option. This is a command of your God. This should be a goal. This should be something you're fighting for, to love each other with agape love. A self-sacrificing, unconditional love. Wow. We're, to, we're called to do that. That's what God's calling us to do.
Okay, so here's the thing about God. God never asks you to do anything he doesn't help you do. That's just the heart of God. Even when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So he's going to empower you to do it. He's going to help you do it. That's just the nature of God. So not only does he empower you with the Spirit, but he also, in this verse, he gives you a mindset to process how you love others. Let me, let me show it to you. Look at this. Starts off at verse 16. He says, I chose you. God chose you first. Then verse 17, love each other. Okay, so Jesus gives us the foundation that will empower the choice. And here it is. God chose me, so I choose you. God chose me, so I choose you. God chose to love you. Now let's, let's stop there for a moment. God chose to love you. God. God. Like, God. Is it, uh, make sure that hits you. The God who created the world chose to love you. And it says, the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst, Jesus loved you and died for you at your worst. So our response to that should be, thank you. Lord, thank you. I didn't deserve it, but you chose to love me. I, I could never earn this, but you chose to love me. Like that's, that should be our, our heart. That should be what we recognize. I, I'm not, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy. Like, like Wayne's world, like I'm not worthy. But God chose to love us. Like how awesome is that? I want you to get that this morning. God chose to love you. Unworthy you. And so, so here's what I want you to see. God didn't base his love for you on you. He based his love for you on himself. God chose to love you based on who he is, that he is love. He loves you, not based on your performance, not based on what you do. Your performance was a mess when God loved you. He, he based his love on himself. He loved you based on who he is, not based on who you are today or who you were. Okay, so, so God, so get this. This is what Jesus is saying. God based his love for you on him. So guess what? We base our love for others on God. Not on us, on God. So we look at others and we say, man, God loved me when I didn't deserve it. So I'm gonna love you when I don't maybe feel like you deserve it. When you have a different political viewpoint than I do. When you maybe do things that I would say are sinful and ugly and nasty and I, I maybe hate the sin that you do, I'm gonna love you anyways because God chose me when he hated the sin I did. Am I helping you this morning? I hope so. Because this is the call of God. This is the command of God. Like this is not an option. Oh, I don't feel like it. Okay. Sorry, do it anyways. Like that's, this is what God's saying to you. We're called to love with this unconditional love. That's the love that God gave to you and that's the love we're supposed to bear and carry and display in the world around us. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus' love was unconditional. Here's another thing about Jesus' love and this kind of goes along with unconditional. Jesus' love was truthful. Jesus was very honest. He was always honest. Why? Because honesty is love. Being truthful with people is love. Now, it may not always feel like love to them. Like, I'm not telling you you love unconditionally and you can't be truthful and tell people the truth. But I'm also, listen, I'm also not saying we can beat people over the head with it either because that's not biblical. We're to speak the truth in love is what the word tells us. We're to insulate 
the truth that we're sharing with the world with love. Because if we don't, the Bible says we become a clanging symbol. Which if I get one of these symbols out and I just start banging on it, people are going to exit the room after a while. Because it becomes just annoying. And so often that's what we do. Here's the truth, truth, truth. You got to insulate it with love. I love this, this quote from this guy, John Stott. He said, our love grows soft if it's not strengthened by truth. So it's not about just, oh, we just love everybody. Yeah, you do you, whatever. That's not it. But it also goes on to say, and our truth grows hard if it's not softened by love. So it's a balance. Truth and love, they need to be balanced in our life. So we need to be honest with people, tell them the truth. Well, Pastor Josh, what if, what if they get mad at me? Well, remember the definition of agape love? It said, it devotes total commitment to seek your highest and best, no matter how anyone may respond. So it's not necessarily you're supposed to be concerned with how they may respond. You're just supposed to speak this truth in love. So get this. When, when we love like Jesus with this agape love, we have to be prepared that sometimes it's going to be seen by a world as unloving. So imagine, let me, let me kind of help you understand this a little bit, okay? Imagine that you have a two-year-old in your life, all right? So maybe you actually have a two-year-old. Uh, but if you don't, I want you to think back to a two-year-old. Maybe it's another two-year-old you know. Maybe, you know, for me, I'm going to think back to my kids when they were two years old, okay? Or maybe you're a grandparent, think about a two-year-old that you love. You love them. You got to love it. Not just a bratty two-year-old, like a one that you love, okay? Good love. You love the two-year-old, all right? Uh, if you're a teenager, like think about, you know, niece, nephew, brother, sister, somebody that you love, try really hard. Two-year-old, you love them, okay? So there's a two-year-old, you love them, right? And you go into the kitchen, and you find this two-year-old, and they're just in the kitchen, and they have this big old smile on their face, and they are holding a huge, sharp knife. They found the biggest kitchen knife in there, and they, you walk in, and they are so proud of it. And they're just looking at it, looking down the barrel of it, you know? And they're waving it around, moving it past their throat, and you go, oh, what are you going to do? Because you love them, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to run over to them, and I'm going to do my best to get that knife away from them, like grab their arm and kick it out of their hand, or even possibly hit the knife and risk myself getting cut because I don't want them to get hurt. Now, in that moment, they may see that act as being unloving. Why? I like this. This is really neat and shiny and cool, and it, I feel like, you know, Luke Skywalker with this thing. I don't, why, why are you being so mean? Why are you acting like this? They may, they may get mad at you. They may call you names. They may throw a fit, but you know better than them, right? You have a perspective they don't have. Listen, as Christians, the world is playing with some knives, and they don't understand what they're holding. They think it's really neat. This is how I feel. This is what I want, but what they don't know is what they want, what they feel can kill them. And so we sometimes look at that and we go, no, 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 stop, put that down, that's going to hurt you. And they're going to go, you don't, you don't accept me, you don't like what I like, how can you be this way? But they can't see it because they don't know the truth, because the truth sets us free, they don't understand that. But we don't weigh what we do, like we're not going to go, well, you know, they really like the knife, you know. My two-year-old really enjoys playing with that big old knife, so we'll just pray for them. Hopefully they get it. That's not loving, is it? That's not loving. Loving is truthful. You know, here at New Song Church, like, I'll talk about sin from time to time. In fact, just about every week, I'll mention sin. 
And the reason I talk about sin is because the Bible talks about sin a lot. Jesus talked about sin a lot. Let me remind you, Jesus came and died on the cross for sin. It's the reason he came is to deal with sin. But there's, there's movements in the church right now that are saying stuff like, well, you know, we don't talk about that because we want to talk about what we're for, not what we're against. To which I would say, well, are you for people? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so if you're four people, like Jesus was, you're going to talk about this stuff sometimes. Because you, people are waving around knives and they're going to get killed. And when we talk about sin, when the Bible talks about sin, when we talk about sin, it's not because I'm trying to keep you from something good. I'm trying to keep you from death. Stuff that will hurt you and harm you and do damage to you. Speaking the truth, it's loving. It's loving. Being honest is loving. We need to be honest with people. We need to tell the truth. I, I want people in my life. I don't know about you, but I need people in my life that are willing to tell me the truth. I don't need just people that just tell me what I want to hear all the time. And just so you know, if you're my friend, I'm going to tell you the truth. Talk to some of my friends. I'll tell them, hey, quit being a jerk. Like the way you, you talk to that waiter, you kind of came off as a jerk there. Like be better. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit making excuses. The Bible says this in Proverbs uh, 27, 6. It says faithful. Everybody say faithful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, that word wound there doesn't mean a gaping death blow. <laughs> it means like, it's like a bruise. It's like a hard push. So like, you get a hard push. You may not like it in the moment, but it gets you going in the right direction. That's what this is talking about. Faithful is that. Faithful are those times that your friends go, hey, quit being a jerk. Quit making such a big deal out of this stuff. Quit acting like having to wear a mask to church is the end of the world. It's not. Paul and Silas worshiped in shackles, cramping up. I think you can wear a mask if you have to, people. Sorry, I'm off the soapbox now. But, but we need to be people that are honest. Like if there's someone in your life and their behavior is selfish and it's, it's driving a wedge between you and them, love them enough to be truthful. And say, hey, your behavior, this isn't okay. Like, I feel like I don't want to be around you right now because you, you're just so selfish. The way you're acting, the way you're treating me, this is not okay. And I, I love you, I'm not, I'm, I love you, but I, I want you to know because I want to be close to you. I care enough about our relationship to not just let this keep driving us apart. When, when your daughter comes to you and she says, there's this boy at school and, and he, he asked me, I, I want to go on a date with him. And you say, okay, what church does he go to? Well, he doesn't go to church. Well, is he a Christian? I, I'm not really sure. Well, uh, bring me his tithing record and let me hear him pray in tongues and we'll, we'll go from there. I feel sorry for my daughters. <laughs> but no, for, for me, I'm going to go, well, no, no. You can't be yoked together with an unbeliever. Because right now, that, that kid is a knife. He's holding a knife and waving it around at my daughter. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she may not like it, but I'm going to give her the truth of the word of God and I'm going to stand for what's truthful and I'm going to do my best to protect her and as long as she lives under my house, she's in my house and I'm paying the bills and the car that she's driving and all that stuff, she ain't doing that. It's that simple, that easy. She may not like it, but I'm right because I'm, I'm by the word. <laughs> I am, if it's by the word, I'm right. 
So what I'm saying is we can be truthful and being truthful, being honest is loving. It really is loving. So who do you need to be honest with? Who do you need to tell the truth to? Jesus, his love was truthful. Now, now one more thing I'll say about the, the love of Jesus and the truthfulness of Jesus. I was looking at this this week and you know, there's some interesting interactions Jesus has with people. And it's based on relationship. What you see, like, like for example, um, there's a level of intimacy that me and Sarah have with each other that allows her to speak the truth to me in ways that if a lot of you said things to me, and not that she's rude or anything, but a lot, if a lot of you came to me and you said things to me that the way she does, we would have a problem. But she could say it to me, and I know her heart, and I know who she is, and so I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll quit doing that, like, you know, or whatever. Like, because we have a different level of relationship, and we see that in Jesus. Like, Jesus has this intimacy with Peter. You remember what, Je some of the things Peter, Jesus told Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. That was to Peter. <laughs> There's another time when Peter's kind of getting a little cocky and arrogant about, you know, his place with God, and he's saying, I'll, I'll, I'd lay down my life for you. And Jesus goes, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times, okay? <laughs> like, he's totally truthful and brutally honest with him sometimes, but they had that kind of relationship. But I also see Jesus talking to the woman caught in adultery, to the rich young ruler, and he was really different with how he related to them. And so my point is, like, you have to consider the intimacy of the relationship when it comes to the truthfulness that you share. And you gotta weigh that. And I think the best advice I could give you is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand that. But I'm telling you, I believe this. If you'll go to people with a heart that says, hey, I love you, and I wanna get this right, and I feel like there's something here that's off, but I, I'm, I, I care enough about you that I'm not just gonna let this drive a wedge between us, but I'm gonna fight for this relationship, or I think there's something in your life that could be hurting you or keeping you from things, so I'm gonna be honest with you. Here's what it is, and I love you. I'm not trying to be mean. I just want you to see it. I think if you do that with the right heart, it'll be received. It may not always be received, but, but many times it will, amen? amen? And here's the last thing about Jesus' love. Jesus' love was and is sacrificial. Jesus had a sacrificial kind of love, a self-sacrificing love that was for the good of others, for the benefit of others. So that's the thing about agape love. Agape love looks at the needs of others and it moves, it moves based on the need. So if someone is lonely and I wanna love them with agape love, I'm gonna go spend time with them and I'm gonna talk with them and I'm gonna listen to them. If somebody's hungry, and I'm gonna love them with agape love, I'm gonna feed them. I'm gonna provide a meal for them. If somebody is discouraged and I'm gonna love them with agape love, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move to encourage them. I'm gonna move to do it. That's what Jesus did. The Bible talks about how Jesus looked at the world. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the keys to come up at this time. God, God, Jesus looked at the world and he was moved with compassion. And it doesn't just mean that like, in his heart, he was just kind of like moved. But, but what we see is that Jesus literally moved. He, he moved out of heaven into the earth. And he lived in this earth. And then when it came time, he moved onto the cross. And the sins of the world were moved onto God. And then he was moved into a tomb. And then he was moved into a place of authority in heaven. And he invites you to move to that place with him. He moved. Because here's the, here's the truth about about love and about how it works. Talk is cheap, love has feet. 
talk is cheap. Love has feet. Love moves based on the need. Jesus looked at us and he said, their need is salvation. They need a savior. And so I'll be that. I'll move to serve them in their greatest area of need. That's the love of Jesus. Unconditional, truthful, sacrificial. And that's the kind of love he invites us to. God's called us to bear that kind of fruit in the world, that kind of love. Now, you you can't do it apart from God. You can't do that apart from the Spirit. You can't love unconditional. Are you kidding me? You can't really be truthful the way you're supposed to without the Spirit helping you do that. You can't have a sacrificial kind of love on display in your life without the Holy Spirit empowering you to understand that and do that. You just, you can't do it. But, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, sourced by the Spirit, connected with God, He can begin to produce this fruit in your life and you can bury it and you can carry it and you can display it. Isn't that good? Yeah. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.